0: This is the Breastfeeding Talk podcast. Welcome back to Breastfeeding Talk, Milk Motherhood Mindset. I'm Jacqueline Kinsert, and I am here today with Allison Bowden, and she's a registered dietitian specializing in women's health. So excited to have her on today because she's the founder of Motherwell Nutrition, uh, which was formerly called Nourishing Radiance. I love both names. And she helps moms replenish their bodies, balance hormones, feel good again after kids, all of my favorite things. She's also a mom of two young boys, and she totally understands that feeding yourself well can be difficult after becoming a mother. And we're going to talk about just some strategies, techniques, things that work in the real world, and just talking about postpartum. And uh I, I don't want to spoil it because I just want to dive in because I could just keep talking about Allison and how amazing
1: she is. But welcome to the show. Thanks for yeah. being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to finally chat with you after long summer when we first originally met. Um, thank you for having me. And I can't wait to dive into all things postpartum nutrition. I could talk about this all day long if you let me.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's one of the biggest questions that I get, um, just as a lactation consultant or social media. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, I love doing this episode with you because I don't always have a time or chance to really dive deep, um, unless we're working on food intolerances or something. Right. And I'll say, well, you know, moms are like, Oh, is there anything I should eat or not eat? I'm like, just have a good diet, eat whole foods, you know, like, cause I just, I just don't have the time, but, um, you know, like, you know, it affects hormones and and energy levels and so many things. And I think there's a lot of, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there's just a lot of concern about diet during pregnancy. And then postpartum, it's like, Oh, I can eat the things again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it's not that you can't eat the things, whatever that is for you. Donuts, mercury filled fish. I don't know. meat right. <laughs> That's not heated in the microwave, but uh, sushi, you know, I don't know, but um, yeah, there's just so many misconceptions. And then also not even that, I feel like it's just, just kind of a lack of good education and awareness. So I'm happy you're here to chat about that with us. Yeah,
1: me too. And I completely agree with you that there's, so much attention in pregnancy, what to eat, obviously what not to eat. Like you just mentioned all the things that that we, we crave postpartum and, and during pregnancy, but then babies out and ghost town, nobody's talking about nutrition. The, the, usually the only discussion around nutrition for postpartum is weight loss and food intolerances for, for a nursing baby that might be having issues. Like, like mm-hmm. you mentioned And I really think that this lack of discussion on what postpartum nutrition is and what our needs are is one of the biggest gaps in healthcare because it's actually an extremely vulnerable time for women's health. And I really think that the missing link is primarily nutrition we get so many nutrient depletions from pregnancy and birth and and nursing as well that we become extremely depleted and when we're not you know given the education around what to do and how to feed ourselves to kind of come out of that you know depleted hole and then we're also not not really allowed the space to rest and nourish ourselves we really get this perfect storm of of many of the symptoms that A lot of women complain about in postpartum that can drag on for years is really a combination of of what I think of a perfect storm of, of nutrition, nutrient depletions and hormone changes in postpartum. So when we work targeted for that and eat in a way that's appropriate for postpartum and work on our hormones, a lot of of these symptoms can can get better or completely disappear. And I'm talking about like exhaustion, insomnia, brain fog. Uh, sustained hair loss uh, to a certain extent, anxiety and, and mood disorders are, are strongly linked to both nutrition and hormone changes as well. Obviously they're, they're dynamic and multi multifaceted there as well. And then hormone changes like night sweats and um, stress intolerance and issues with, um, with your cycle, your period and, and all of those things. So many of them are related to nutrition. So mm-hmm. happy to have this platform today to chat about it and give you guys listening some tips on what to do about it. Yeah. Um, really oh my hard. gosh. And you
0: just mentioned like all the things that anybody would want to know about. And yeah. I think about just what I experienced too. And oh my goodness. Um, well, let's talk about, let's talk about brain fog, because I feel like there's just a billion memes out there, you know, about mom brain yeah. and totally like, you know, depending on how your birth went and and the baby's up all the time at night, like, yeah, sleep deprivation is, is definitely going to create some of that, but how does diet play a role with that too? Because I feel like, you know, you're like 11 months postpartum and still talking about mom brain. Uh, I don't know if that is like really where things should be at for you.
1: Right, exactly. You know, there's a lot of things going on with, with brain fog. You know, first, there's just the evolutionary, you know, remodeling that happens during pregnancy, which you may have heard about before. There is actual changes to the brain matter to save space for learning how to mother and how to, how to take care of your child. So there actually is physical brain remodeling and that's part of kind of like pregnancy brain and mom brain. So that is part of it. Um, and, you know, there's for a lot of these postpartum symptoms that I mentioned, there is some expected range of normal, and then there's things that get more severe, when we're looking at, is this normal? Is this not? We're looking at severity and how long this is lasting. You know, if we're like a few years out postpartum and you still feel like you're thinking through mud, word finding is really difficult. You know, we're we're having an issue there. When you're in the newborn stage and having some, some brain fog and you're not sleeping and you're still healing from birth, that's, that's more expected, right? Um, but when we're looking at something like, cognition and, and mental health. Um, what we're looking at is this from a few different angles. One, what's going on nutrient wise. We know that there's several different nutrient deficiencies that show up as cognitive problems, trouble thinking, trouble word finding, um, B12 comes to mind, omega-3 fats come to mind, Um, iron deficiency, and all three of those are really common postpartum deficiencies. So that's something that we want to get checked out, see if we increase uh, uh, of salmon and fatty fish, take fish oil, increase like egg yolks, um, and things like that for B12, um, increase lean, um, lean red meats for iron and maybe get some of those tested. That's definitely something that, that we see with brain fog. And then we have the hormonal connection with, with brain fog. We, you've heard of cortisol, the stress hormone, and we a lot of times think of stress as the typical kind of like emotional, mental stress, right? Like I'm stressed out, but your body can also be under stress and that can have the same relationship to feeling really stressed out and being in kind of, um, a really stressful time or like a crisis. And so if our cortisol is bouncing really high, really low due to lack of sleep due to, you know, this, this crazy road of motherhood and learning how to care for a new human—all of all of that—is definitely really stressful. You know, not even to mention pandemic, <laughs> pandemic parenting, right? Um, and then if we also have the stress of of irregular blood sugar, not eating full enough, balanced enough meals, not not eating all of the right macronutrients and the right balance, in addition to nutrient deficiencies, we're going to have cortisol that's just all over the place. Sometimes too high, sometimes too low, and. And that a lot of times contributes to, to brain fog type type symptoms. And so it, again, it's kind of, it can be a lot of the perfect storm of like, part of it is just the, the normal wave of what happens during pregnancy and postpartum. And we have like a range of normal there. And then it's further exacerbated by things like nutrient deficiencies and, and the hormone changes. So mm, it's yeah. multifaceted for sure. And not necessarily like, oh, oh, brain fog is this nutrient, like take that <laughs> and then you're going to be fine. But it's definitely, there's, there's this again, kind of like perfect storm of, of a few things happening at the same time. And when we address all of them, things usually get better. Absolutely.
0: Oh goodness. I, I love that you talk about that, you know, kind of, you know, there's so many different factors that go into it. And also I like what you said about you know, some of this is actually to be expected. Some of this is normal, right? So, you know, one of the things that just irks me so much about a lot of people in the wellness community is this like purism about things like, Oh, if you have any brain fog whatsoever, you need my product or my course or whatever, because that's not normal. And it's like, I don't know. Do you live in the real world, man? Like driving in traffic could just, you know, spike your cortisol. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. you know, we don't all get to live in our like fancy beach house and, and work from home. Okay. Like right. So I just, that kind of stuff really irks me when people, you know, just are constantly like, do you have brain fog? Try this. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I just had a baby two weeks ago. I mean, yeah. come on now. <laughs> like, yeah. and then that just adds to the anxiety where moms are like, should I be taking this? What do you recommend? What vitamins, what the, you know, and you're just like, why do you have a cabinet full of supplements? Like just chill. Okay. Like
1: first of all, let's focus on food, (laughs) eat some food, rest, and then stop Googling every symptom. Yeah. Well, and I feel kind of the same way, you know, my, my background is a registered dietitian and I also have additional training in, in functional medicine, functional nutrition, and in, in the functional world, we talk a lot about root causes. What's the root of this? What's the root of that? And I, and I truly believe that that is where healthcare is, is going and what, what we need to be doing, especially for a lot of like chronic diseases. But at the same time, we can get a little band aid care too. You know, I I was just talking to a patient about this today. It's like, yeah, we want to work at the roots of, of what's going on. Um, but if there's, if there's something that we can do in the meantime that helps you feel better quicker, we can do that too. <laughs> you know, because yes. I want you getting feeling good as quickly as possible while we kind of like dig and uncover what what the roots might be for for one particular issue. So we can oh, both such a good point at the same time. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've definitely I've definitely seen people allow themselves to continue to be in a state of suffering because they only want to chase the root cause. So that's also a good point. I mean, there's just, there's extremes on both sides, you know, yeah. and, and I'm like, Whoa, like you don't have to suffer like that. You know, I worked yeah. with a client, um, you know, probably, you know, I feel like there's a lot of crossover in our work, right. Where the baby just had very severe eczema and obviously this is a gut issue. And I was like, look at this point though, it's so inflamed and his poor little body just doesn't really know how to handle this. So you're doing all the right things, but those things take time. I'm like, honestly, I really would go back to the pediatrician and get a steroid ointment. It's not something i are going to use long-term, but we've got to stop this like overload that his body's going through and calm it down. And that's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, I really don't want to use stuff like that. I'm like, I know you don't, but I'm like the oatmeal baths and whatever, it's all not working, and or you're seeing very, very slow progress. And sure enough, within a few days, you know, uh, that was able to get things calmed down. I'm like, and now you're, now his body can better respond to all the other things you're doing. Right. So just to share an example for people, no, like that's what you're talking amazing. about. You know, like yeah. we can use band-aids while
1: we do the root cause stuff yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Another great example is if I have a really bad headache, I'm taking 600 milligrams of ibuprofen, right? <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. I am getting a headache every single day, on finding out what, what the root of that might be, or if it shows up mm. cyclically every time before my period, you know, and it's related to hormones or, you know, myself or my patients. Right. But like in the moment you can just get, you can get rid of your headache. Yeah. <laughs> <it's>... do that. <laughs> and then at the same time we can work on uh, preventing it or reducing the severity, reducing the frequency. Right. So they yeah. these can coexist at the same time. <laughs> oh, I
0: love that. I love that. Well, yeah, it's such a good point because yeah, there's, you don't need to needlessly suffer in the name of trying to do things naturally. So, um, I hope that more people hear that. And I think more people are listening to that. Um, I love that you also mentioned hair loss. Let's talk about that for a moment, Mm. you know, um, what's normal, what's not, um, because I mean, yeah, I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of controversy, a lot of fear. And I think it would be great to have you just chat about that.
1: Yeah. Hair loss is super distressing. It feels in the moment when you are in the shower, pulling out that clump of hair, sticking it on the shower wall, you know, that, I don't know if I'm the only one that does that weird thing. Um, No, I do it too. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's super distressing and it feels like all your hair is falling out. Right. And this is... another perfect example of there's normal and then there's a severity and a longevity of it that we consider not normal. And so typical postpartum shedding happens around four months. It's related to you the hair follicle life. Um, you don't lose as much hair during pregnancy. That's part of life. Why your hair looks so good during pregnancy, not everybody, but you know, um, it's why a lot of people notice that their hair is getting fuller in pregnancy because we aren't losing those hairs. The average is about losing about a hundred hairs a day. And so at four months postpartum, the, the life cycle of the hair follicle then, then shifts and it's in more losing stage. And so in general, we say you're not actually like losing a net amount of hair or at least the range of normal is where you're not really losing a net amount of hair that's, that's greater than before you started the pregnancy. It's just catch-up loss. Um, the again, the range of normal here is t- definitely to experience a a shedding a more than average loss of hair um, around four months. I usually see it somewhere between three and six months postpartum. Um, it peaks and then it slows down. That's considered normal. Now it's I often see it's contained more to like the front of the hair. Um, things that we want to look out for. We want to make sure that we're starting to see regrowth after maybe three or four months after you notice the peak, we're starting to see regrowth. And and that usually looks like, um, I don't know if you experienced this after having your kids, but like bangs that you didn't cut all of a sudden show up,
0: right? (laughs) Um, or like where your part is just like these little, little like
1: mohawk hairs sticking up. Yeah, exactly. So we want to make sure that we're experiencing the regrowth after a certain amount of time. Other red flags, um, you know, if, if it's coming out, I mean, it's going to feel kind of distressing even if it's in the stage of normal, just because it, it does feel pretty dramatic how much is coming out. If you're starting to get visible bald spots, we, we want to go get checked out. If you are losing hair elsewhere besides your head, particularly your eyebrows, um, the outer third of your eyebrow, if you if you find that you're losing hair there... That's indicative of a thyroid problem. And we want to go get the thyroid checked out. If the the cycle of hair loss doesn't peak and then get better and is just like the same kind of cadence of loss, 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 loss. And then you're hitting like a year postpartum and it's still there. And you're noticing very, um, very obvious hair thinning without the regrowth. We want to get that checked out. So again, it's about like severity And, and longevity, I I wouldn't expect sustained hair loss past a year, you know, postpartum. It should really peak somewhere around like three to six months you know, be the worst it's going to be, peak and then get better um, and kind of return to, to normal at that point. And then the things we want to investigate then um, and, you know, bring to our care providers. We want to check our iron and, and not just a CBC. We want to get a full iron panel with ferritin. We, we see a relationship between hair loss and ferritin that's below 50. So we wanna get like a full iron panel. Um, We wanna get a full thyroid panel to see if there's some hypothyroid that's causing um, the hair loss and postpartum hypothyroid is not uncommon. Um, They think about like 10 to 20% of women have have it at least temporarily. Um, Doesn't mean that if you're diagnosed with postpartum thyroiditis that you're going to have thyroid problems for the rest of your life. It could be be just something that we're dealing with in the postpartum period and it gets better later, but it's still something that we need to be followed um, by from our physician. Um, other things that we want to look at, um, other mineral deficiencies, zinc deficiency, um, is related to hair loss. We also see a relationship between protein deficiency, um, omega three fatty acid deficiency that, that would more be like breakage, um, because we need omega threes for like the oil production in our hair. And so if it, if we're de- depleted or deficient in omega three fats, we're going to see more breakage, um, you know, it can be you know up, up here, the crown of your head or a little bit lower. Um, so those are all things that we want to get checked out. If um, we're noticing that we're not fitting into that, what is normal, what is not box. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, going kind of back to like kind of my, my history with working with postpartum I wrote a blog called "Postpartum Hormones: Normal Versus Not," and I, you know, had no idea how to write a blog and how how to like rank in Google. But I must have hit a nerve with that because that uh, blog shot to just number one in Google when you googled "postpartum hormones," and that because I think that's what a lot of people are searching for, right? Like, is this normal? Is this not? Where's the line between? normal and not because like the hair loss, for example, you hear like, oh, it's normal and postpartum to have hair loss. And that's usually the end of the conversation, right? It's not like, but yes. here's the red flags. Here's what we want to be addressing. Here's why you want to get tested. And here's how long you want to be dealing with this before you start asking questions. Mm, yeah. I love that. And I love that what you said
0: about ferritin too. And just um yeah, you said you want to be above 50. For lactation, you want to be 70 to 90, quite honestly. Yeah. And there's different values for lactation than, you know, when you're just a normal woman, right? So like right. I I had a patient yesterday send me her labs um that her provider was open to getting checked and you know, I went through and I'm like, yeah, these things are off, but you know, the, the ranges, the reference ranges on that report are so wide that she looked like she was normal for everything.
1: (laughs) Although ferritin range is like, I think 10 or 15 is like the lower limit. And it's pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of times where they, they get the, the gold star, (laughs) um, the lab reference ranges. And I'm like, these, these, maybe don't indicate disease, but they're not optimal. And we want to look through the lens of like, where are you going to be thriving? What, what, what the numbers look like, where you actually like feel good. And, you know, that's really my marker of recovery. And I I say this a lot and in why I named my program mother recover, because it's like, do you feel good most of the time? Like if you don't, we haven't recovered yet from, from pregnancy and birth. And mm. it doesn't really matter how far you are from birth. If you feel like garbage three years after birth, I'm still going to call you postpartum because we haven't recovered. And I will, I consider postpartum to be usually like a couple years long at least. But if you're beyond what my definition of postpartum would be, but you never felt good, then we haven't recovered. and and we need to kind of dive back in and and take a look at what's going on.
0: Yeah, and well, I, th- I think you brought something up here that's really, really important is you know a lot of people want to have more than one baby. And so, you know, there's kind of this sort of blanket recommendation of, you know, try to wait at least a year before you get pregnant. Um, But it's not just timing. I mean, yes, your body is healing from the pregnancy and the birth and you're going through postpartum and all of that. But what about that pregnancy spacing related to everything that you're talking about? Really, when does someone want to, what do they want to address before they get pregnant again um, if they're specifically looking at that?
1: Right. I mean, definitely nutrients. Like have you refilled your nutrient cup? And that's really like the number one thing that we want to be working on in, in postpartum in general, particularly if, if you're feeling ready to start trying for next, next baby, two, three, seven, whatever. Um, And the, that is so important that actually the world health organization recommends Two years between pregnancies, so that would be about you know a three-year age gap. A lot of us aren't doing that, <laughs> you know. I have kids that are two years apart. Um, you know, a lot of us aren't aren't quite doing that. But the reason why that recommendation is there is because of nutrient replenishment, and it takes about that long. There's no real timeline on how long how long it really does take in real life, though, because everybody's starting off at a different a different point, right? And obviously, lactation is going. To to mean more nutrients are given to the baby versus if somebody is not breastfeeding. And so um, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It means that we need to really make sure that we're eating in a way that not only supports breast milk production, because that's usually what, what we're asking, right? Like, oh, how can I eat to support, you know, a good good breast milk production or more breast milk production or whatever. But it, the question is also how can I eat to support my body from not getting totally depleted as well as, you know, supporting my baby's nutrition with my breast milk. So, um we have to be looking at both of those at the same time. Um but for sure looking at nutrient depletion, um doing uh, testing as much as possible because some things are really obvious symptoms and some are not, and so it's a really good idea to get just a nutrient panel and see what's going on under the hood and you know sometimes we also want to look at you know what's going on hormonally between between pregnancies and doing a hormone test is often what people really want to do because it's like like kind of sexy right like i want to go check out my hormones what are my hormones doing you get a lot of requests for that but if we don't have the right balance of macro and micronutrients macronutrients are like the visible food on our table, right? The protein, the carbs, the the fats. Um, If we don't have the right combination of those, in addition to micronutrients or vitamins and minerals, we can't make hormones. So we really have to focus first on what, what we're eating, what our plate looks like, how balanced um, our meals are, how balanced our blood sugar is. And then, you know, the hormones oftentimes will, will kind of fall in line as well.
0: Mm, Yeah. Oh, that's such a great explanation. I do agree. Most people are jumping towards kind of the hormone thing. And I see that with totally not breastfeeding related, but like like older men, right? Like they start to go through that time and they're like, Oh, I should get my testosterone checked. And I'm like, first of all, sure. that's just such a dude <laughs> thing to say, but like, which is very much a stereotype, but it's like, why are you getting that checked? You know, like, let's look at other things, but yeah. how soon after giving birth should someone get a nutrient panel done or get their hormones checked? What yeah. would you recommend? Cause I, I mean, they're not usually getting labs done. They might do like a six or eight week follow up with the OB or something, but I don't see lab work getting recommended very often unless I'm telling someone to request it. Right. And also, I don't, I don't know. I feel I'm curious what you think, but when it comes to me for lactation, I'm like, can't wait six weeks. There's no way yeah. we can wait six weeks. Yeah.
1: I mean, yes and no because you're. If, I mean, if I ran the world, everybody at their six-week visit would get a comprehensive nutrient panel done at, at that point because nobody's getting them really ever, <laughs> right? Um, but in when, it, when we're looking at hormones, I mean, first we have to say nobody's studying this. And so we don't have great data on like oh two weeks is the point where things kind of settle down and we want to check your hormones so or check your check your nutrients or your hormones really. Um, so I generally like sooner the better with with checking out some nutrients. Um, there is some stuff that might kind of peak and then go normalize a little bit. Like you might have had a lot of blood loss during delivery. And once you kind of start eating, and if you have lactation amenorrhea and you're not getting your period for a couple cycles, that might kind of normalize if it wasn't too bad of of a blow as far as um, how how low your iron goes. So there might be there's some shifting in those in those first weeks. Um, but again, we don't have research like in comparing like oh if we took one one person after they gave birth and we checked their nutrient status in pregnancy, checked did the same panel. Right after delivery, two weeks later, like, does it change at all? Like, so we don't really know what the perfect time is, but it's really, I think once you kind of come out of the the fog of delivery and are ready to start kind of focusing on yourself, that's a, that's a great thing to get done. Mm. You're going to the doctor anyway, a six week visit. So that's a great time to be requesting things so that you don't have to take multiple trips to head to the doctor kind of come prepared with a list of things to ask generally you want to you want to go with a list to to ask for and not not really just say like oh can you check my nutrients because they might not know exactly what kind of panels to run um but if you say like oh can you give me a full iron panel or can you check my zinc levels or check my b12 levels those are all things that you can generally get from from primary care, I run a nutrient panel in my practice. That's a it's an easy home test. It's a little finger prick, and it gives us you know a ton of different vitamins, a ton of different minerals, um, amino acids, and an omega three index. So it's a really great home test to do. But that's usually something that's kind of a specialty functional test rather than uh, something that primary care would have access to. But you can still get some of the basics at at primary care if the kind of more fancy stuff isn't isn't accessible. You can still get some of the the big guns like like B12, zinc, iron, magnesium, and all of those types of things. So, that didn't yes. really answer your question. So, your question they was <laughs> um, timeline, you know, but but no one needs to name. be
0: requesting this while they're still admitted to the hospital, is no. what I'm hearing you say. No. Okay, because I no, feel I like, mean, you know, sometimes two moms are like, oh, well, they're already there. I could take them up. I'm like, yeah. wow, you just yeah. gave
1: birth. Come on. <laughs> exactly. And that might, Honestly, that might be a no to that request. (laughs) Yeah, that might be a no. Um, So, you know, there there's other priorities in the hospital at that time, right? Especially Um, these days. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So and, and there could be some things that kind of, like I said. Might might kind of peak and then normalize because there's so much movement and so much activity and and we know that when there's big fluid changes like there are in those first few weeks postpartum you know that can dilute you know the the sample and you might get not Uh not a great reading on that you know there's um you know inflammation that's happening because you're healing no matter what kind of birth you had you're healing from it and inflammation can also uh, change uh, change ferritin in particular if your inflammation is really high your ferritin might not be accurate so you know there's I wouldn't really do it in those like first days, maybe not even first first weeks, but I think the six weeks is a good a good time. And, makes you know, sense. I tend kind to of think of six weeks as like the time to do stuff, so you might as well request it when when you go. Um, yeah, so and I, I just want to, to interject yeah. really quick and say too that
0: um, because I know there will probably be some listeners thinking about this. If your milk hasn't come in, mm. like. By seven days postpartum, you need to go get hormone labs done for lactation. Like you cannot wait the six weeks. Um, it's gonna be too hard to try and get you the the correction that you need. And something's definitely going on. So I just want to let people know, like, if things are generally going well, it's kind of a normal-ish postpartum. Like, yes, I think Allison's got some great suggestions, but like please, please. If your milk is not coming in, not at day two, but like you got to a week and you're like, it's just not here. I don't know what's going on. Please, please go advocate and get that lab work. And if you're not sure what it is, I do have a reel on my Instagram page, but just send me a DM and I can tell you what you should ask for. because yeah. I don't want people to think, you know, put that off for Absolutely. lactation specifically.
1: Right. And that brings up a really great point in general. This is really like kind of a normal, her journey of postpartum, right. Then yeah. this is a great time for most people to get, but if you are experiencing some kind of symptom, you go to the doctor right now. Yeah, You, know, go. <laughs> like you don't, you don't wait, you know, if you're having, you know, we, we talked about headaches earlier. If you're having extreme headaches a couple of days after delivery, when you first get home and you're having swelling, you go to the doctor and yes. you, you, you call them up. Cause that might be a medical emergency. If you are, if your milk's not coming in at seven days, like you mentioned, like that's not normal. And, and we, we want to go get, get that checked out. Um, but as far as, uh, folks that are dealing with just the kind of typical journey of postpartum and are thinking like, Oh, I want to get, get something checked out. Um, you know, really totally. earlier, the better, but probably at, at least after a couple of weeks. So wait yeah. for like the big things to start, to start to settle. But again, like if you lost a ton of blood in, um, in delivery, like much more than than usual, I want your iron checked at the hospital because you might need, a, you might need an iron infusion or a transfusion, you know? So there's, there's definitely things that are outside that range of normal, but for the, the typical journey. Uh, early um, as possible, six weeks would be a decent time. But if you, do, you know, you're listening to this and you're six months postpartum and you're still feeling super depleted, you did not miss your window. You know, we can get this anytime. And I, I run, you know, my specialty nutrient panel on pretty much all of my patients, even even if they're not postpartum, because it's such a like a foundational thing that I that I want to see what's going on. I have a recent patient coming to see me for really bad PMS. And we did a nutrient panel and it was like a gold mine of stuff to work on. And <laughs> like, she was deficient in all the classic things that are related to, to PMS. And as soon as we started replenishing that, she felt like heaps better. So there, it's not just postpartum that, that we want to be looking at this, this stuff. It's really foundational for everything. Um, timeline of getting your hormones checked again unless there's some some symptom or something that's that's bringing you earlier to the doctor is a little bit more complicated because again there's no research I'm actually trying to facilitate some research on this, but it's becoming logistically challenging. Um, So it's going to be a while, I think, before I'm going to be able to do this, but we don't really have baselines for what your hormones, and we're talking estrogen, progesterone, particularly when I'm talking hormones, should be looking like at, at really any stage postpartum. And so we can you know, we can do a hormone check. The hormone test that I use is called the Dutch test. It's a urine test that you can do at home. It looks at a couple different metabolites of progesterone, a few of estrogen, your androgens, and then a full day's worth of the highs and lows of cortisol. Um, And that test is a a favorite of mine, something I like running on a lot of, of patients. If somebody is breastfeeding, three months postpartum, no period in sight, we just don't really have baseline ranges for like what your estrogen and progesterone should look like at that time. So it is interesting to get that info for anybody, but there's not a whole lot we can do because we expect lactation to be suppressing estrogen and progesterone. Right. Um, right. And, but we don't really know how much is too much or how much is too little. Right. Um. So when we're really looking at like, have my hormones, come back to normal, we want to look at, or like my baseline, we want to look at, that after the period comes back usually after like we get maybe three postpartum periods then that's a really good time to do that again Mm -hmm. you can do it earlier especially if you're like super curious and want to find out what your own baseline is you know you you can do it earlier it's not going to harm you um but we're not you know if we find that like estrogen is really low um and if your estrogen is really low and you're not ovulating that means your progesterone will also be low because progesterone really peaks after ovulation we're not going to like aggressively go in and try to like boost those up if somebody's three months postpartum and hasn't gotten a period back. Right. Um, we can still do things that support your hormones for coming up when they're ready. So they can be kind of the highest that they can be given what stage postpartum you're in, but we're not going to like go in and start using like Vitex or other herbs or like hormone replacement therapy or something like that when, when somebody's hormones are low in that context. So it really just kind of matters like what, what we're trying, what we're trying to do and accomplish by, by testing hormones, if we don't necessarily like have a, uh, really strong symptom that's that's bringing us to do that test cortisol we can do anytime though and that's a that's a hormone i like to run because sometimes we have symptoms of high cortisol symptoms of low cortisol we, we tend to talk more about high cortisol on social media and such right. then low. But I'm actually finding that a lot of my patients have low cortisol more often these days. I don't know if that's just like a year inside a pandemic it's just <laughs> burning out everybody's adrenal. Um, Probably. But so sometimes that can be helpful, you know, particularly if somebody, you know, one is curious. And, you know, just wants to run the test, but two, you know, if they're, if they're having really kind of severe symptoms of, of either of cortisol dysregulation, whatever that might be, it might be um, really bad blood sugar swings because there's a very intimate connection between cortisol and blood sugar uh, could be that they are having really bad insomnia. They can't seem to wind down at night. Baby's sleeping. Okay. But, but they're not able to sleep. Um, could be related to, um, stress tolerance might find that they're kind of, um, getting more, more upset or kind of mommy rage things a little, a little bit easier than, than usual for them. Um, really bad fatigue, particularly earlier in the day. Those are all signs that we might have some cortisol stuff going on. And that one we can really do anytime. It's not particularly related to, um, to hormones coming back. Right. Like, yeah. That makes sense for sure. And,
0: you know, I guess just to kind of chat about some of the things like you had talked about in the beginning, that there's a lot of focus postpartum on diet for losing weight. And that is such a big thing. Um, there's a big push right now for keto. Can we talk about keto? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: do we have to talk about keto? We Um, have to talk about keto (laughs) keto because I get asked about it all the time and then I can just be like, go listen to this episode with Allison. Yeah, (laughs) keto's a no, a no from me. Yes, Um, (laughs) me too, but I want you to say it. Or it's a a hard no. Keto and intermittent fasting are a hard no for me um, in the postpartum period. And it's one of those things that is obviously... I'm aging myself when I say all the rage. (laughs) Um, but it's like, it's, there's research. The research is primarily on men. Um, and there is a lot of research saying that like, Oh, this is, this is great for fat loss, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when you actually like dig into the research, it's, it's mostly on men. It's, definitely not on postpartum women. It's definitely not on breastfeeding postpartum women. No. And we really risk a lot of things, um, you know, further exacerbating nutrient deficiencies because we're taking out a really big chunk of where our, our nutrients can come from. I find that low carb diets or any kind of restrictive restrictive eating in general can really tank hormones, particularly progesterone. Um, and so kind of depending on where somebody's at if they've gotten their period back or not, they built different kind of symptoms where will show up there. But in general, uh, progesterone, we, we correlate with, um, anxiety and if progesterone gets too low, we tend to have more anxiety. And so if somebody mm-hmm. kind of goes and starts doing a really restrictive diet like that, all of a sudden their insomnia and anxiety goes through the roof that's probably what's going on. Um, yes. and, and it can, it can definitely harm your milk production. Um, because you know, your body is not going to let you completely wither away. If it, if it knows that you aren't getting proper nutrition, you know, you're, you're going to be saving your energy via one way or another. Right. And so it might harm your milk supply. Um, and then I, I really see that things like keto intermittent fasting, doing too much high intensity interval training also kind of falls under this category. If we are doing that on top of a rocky foundation, meaning we're not eating regularly, we have some hormone stuff going on, uh, cortisol is high and low and backwards and forwards. Um, and remember I said, I already said not sleeping well enough, then restrictive diets like that, or too much exercise is actually seen in in the perspective of your body as an additional stressor. And so we can go way more into fight or flight mode, which can actually mean weight gain. So it's not uncommon for women that are trying to lose weight by doing kind of the typical carb restriction, high intensity interval training type stuff, but on that rocky foundation to experience weight gain instead of loss. And then Mm -hmm. that is frustrating, right? Absolutely. think you're doing all the things and then you have the opposite
0: outcome. And is that related to at all where I'll have some moms say, you know, Oh, I thought breastfeeding was supposed to help me lose the baby weight. And I'm like, yeah, you burn a ton of calories all day long. If you're have a full milk supply and whatever, but It doesn't mean you're going to lose weight and is not losing weight or putting weight on while lactating a sign of some imbalance going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, it can, yes and no, you know, there's, there's again, a range of normal and stuff that we want to take a look at, you know, when, when I'm working with a breastfeeding mom who is, is trying to lose weight, first of all, I'm not going to touch weight loss until at least six months, like nine to 12 is more, more my preference. In the first six months, it's about these foundations. I want you to feed yourself. I want you to eat really great balanced meals, snack when you're hungry on a nice balanced snack, um, and really work on just like setting the stage for supporting your hormones to come, to come back up. Um, that's, like all I'll do with, with somebody in terms of, 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 weight management when we're in the first six months postpartum and um, breastfeeding or not. Um, and so that can set the stage for some weight loss when we balance blood sugar, when we can support hormones, when your body is not um confused because you're nutrient deficient and then sending you cravings for things to, to get those back up. That can help by itself with weight loss. And We might see then that breastfeeding helps weight loss better when again we've we've balanced that foundation and the foundation isn't rocky. Um, but you know, when in terms of why breastfeeding might inhibit weight loss, one hunger—you know—the uh, the breastfeeding hunger monster is very <laughs> real, right? Um, And it's going to be so much worse if there's weight loss goals in the back of your mind when you're looking at what am I going to eat, right? If you're having a really light light breakfast, if you're having a salad for lunch, and then come four p.m you're exhausted and starving, we just didn't eat enough. And if we can balance out those meals earlier in the day, you might not find that you're so hungry. And then it's easier. And we might just like see some weight loss. I've seen that um, happen in a really effortless way. Um, So that's like number one. And then, you know, everything that happens with, more nutrient depletions and stuff um, in, in postpartum and then our nutrient demands in breastfeeding. And if we're not meeting those demands, again, that can can signal more cravings. Um, another thing I see is that some, some women might just hold on to about 10 pounds um, until they finish breastfeeding, even when we do some of these techniques. And it's just, that's just kind of what their body wanted to do. And, and 10, five to 10 pounds is pretty common there. And, and sometimes it just kind of slips right off and that could have just been, could have been hunger. It could have been related to hormones. You know, breastfeeding is suppressing your estrogen and progesterone and we store estrogen in our body fat. And so, if our estrogen is low, our body doesn't really want it to be low, and so we might hold on to more body fat just so you can have at least a little bit of, of estrogen. So I see that in postpartum, and I also see that in perimenopause and menopause. Um, that that's a there's a relationship there when your estrogen starts to dip. So that could be related to what's going on and why um kind of easily can can go back. Um, oh, that's fascinating. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on.
0: <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, oh my sure. gosh. Can you guys tell how freaking smart Allison is? Like, this is just mind-blowing. Um, wow. Yeah, it's funny. Um, there also is the thing where when I... Because I breastfed my son, got pregnant with my daughter, k- kept going, you know, so I never really had, like, a break from breastfeeding. So when yeah. I stopped breastfeeding my daughter uh, when she was three, um, that breastfeeding hunger monster, I... Kind of kept that pace of eating, and all of that lovely baby weight that I had lost was starting to come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <I know> that. <laughs> that was it. Wasn't hormones? It was just me eating too much. Which yeah, was really you get funny. acclimated to it, right? You do. Like, oh, I mean my stomach cookie. was bigger. Yeah. You know, like normal amounts of food. But yeah. it's funny you you do adjust and you do balance out. Um, right. I want to ask you probably one of the burning questions that people love to ask, which is dairy, yay or nay? especially when breastfeeding. Cause I feel like so many moms are automatically like no dairy or the pediatricians like no dairy, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced that dairy's evil. What are your thoughts? I'm,
1: I'm not a fan of limiting a new mom's diet. And what kind of foods she can have, like, do I think dairy is the, is the, you know, got milk campaign and I'll be all of health. No. And I, a lot of people definitely have, have trouble with dairy, but it's a really rich source of fat and protein. Um, and, and of course, calcium. And if somebody doesn't have a problem with dairy, then I think great, you know, grass-fed sources, organic sources of full-fat dairy can be a great complement to somebody's diet, particularly when we're in that vulnerable nutrition state where we need more and not less, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to, oh, is dairy affecting you know, my baby's tummy, right? Um, that's that's often a really big question. And you know, this you can give me your advice on this and what what you think as well. I don't jump straight to elimination diets for moms when when we're dealing with that. I I I want to talk about like, oh, maybe we can um support baby's digestion. We can look at latch, we can look at oversupply to make sure they're not getting, you know, too much whey protein or something that's bothering their tummy. Um, we can look at doing some like infant formulated probiotic probiotics to see if that helps with digestion, um, things like that, you know, bicycle wheels, that kind of thing. And um, before jumping into something super restrictive with, with mom, um, you know, there's definitely times where eliminating dairy is helpful, but I don't, I don't love it when, when moms start eliminating like a really big laundry list of foods, um, straight out of the Same. game with that, because then not we not healthy, we're already at this really depleted state, and then we yeah. risk you know major continued depletions. Um, and I don't see that the benefit is is there necessarily, um because I don't find that that the food sensitivities from baby are are related to that many different foods. Um, absolutely. Yeah.
0: absolutely. and And quite honestly, for people listening, like your baby being fussy or gassy, that's probably not a food intolerance. Um, It can definitely be a latch issue or or something or or a milk intake issue or something else. Um, But food intolerances are usually pretty obvious. You're going to have bowel or skin issues most likely in Mm -hmm. an infant, Um, you know, or, or colic like a witching hour that lasts like three hours long, kind of a deal, you know, like you're it's, it's not going to be like, Oh, he's fussy. Maybe I should take out dairy. Like, no, that's probably not it. And it, it may not be dairy, Um, You know, I, I've definitely had clients who I had a mom who was like, when I give formula, my baby doesn't spit up. When I give breast milk in the same bottle, my baby spits up and is super fussy. And I was like, that's probably gluten because if there's one thing formula doesn't have, it's gluten. It has mm-hmm. soy, it has corn, it has milk, it has yeah. all of the other potential allergens. Um, but it does not have gluten. And so I was like, that's the food you need to take out. So mm-hmm. now mystery solved.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. so, but don't take out, corn, soy, dairy. Gluten, of the the, yeah. What are you going to eat? I mean, you no. cannot live on carrots and hummus. Okay. So no. well, I'm on beans. Yeah. <laughs> the hummus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. What about that? Do you do foods
1: that make adults gassy make babies gassy? Again, there's not a lot of research here. Right. And yeah. it doesn't really make scientific sense to my brain because fiber fiber is not digestible, meaning that it's there to supply food for your gut bacteria and keep you as mom running regular. Um, it's not getting absorbed into your system and showing up in your breast milk. Um, so like, I don't really see how that's possible, but I, I never want to 100% one hundred percent, percent say that no beans are not causing this drama because somebody's experience is going to overrule the data, right? If if every time somebody eats a certain thing and and can immediately notice a change in their baby, and when they don't eat that, they never notice that particular thing in their baby, like mean, that's that's enough info, right? Like when you when you Absolutely see that. that, and it's the same thing for you. Like if you eat something that every time you eat it, it just agrees with you. And when you don't eat it, you're fine. Like you got a problem with that food, um, Exactly. It, it, it doesn't, you don't have to get a test to verify that. You don't have to have, you know, somebody with a bunch of letters after their name to verify that, like that's your your truth and what was happening with your body. You know, somebody can be, have a sensitivity to like lettuce or a salmon or something like that, that don't typically show up on, on the list. So like, you know, I, I come, kind of at two angles for this, like one, I don't want to unnecessarily restrict mom's diet ever. Um, and, but two, if she's noticing a correlation, give it a try and see, see what happens. But we don't want to do like jump into like autoimmune paleo, like out of, out of the gate, oh because my gosh. something yeah. like that, because that's just too restrictive. And in this context, in this time of your life, right. You know, you're trying to feed a newborn, like, and then we don't want to have like 12 foods that, that we're not eating, that can be wholesome. Or that you have to spend all this time cooking and, (laughs) you know, let's just
0: put on a batch of bone broth every day. Like, okay. I don't know (laughs) if you can, that's amazing, but I would say you're the minority
1: there. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. I was definitely lazy and what, um, and I have a, a workshop inside, inside my, my program, um, called, I don't remember what I called it. I should probably just change the name of it to like lazy, lazy cooking. <laughs> like, wow, what I consider it, but like fast meals or good meals, fast or something like that. Uh, time crunch meals. I'm like, I can't even talk about mom brain. Can you remember what I named it this <laughs> um, time crunch meals? That's what I called it. Um, and it's all about like, Hey, let's, here's, here's the components we need on the plate. It doesn't need to be fancy. We don't need to do the recipe. Like here's some quick stuff that, that we can, we can throw together in order to make that plate um, and. A nice balanced plate without having to sign up for a bunch of like you know recipe meal plans and things like that that can you know we do for a couple of weeks but then it becomes unsustainable when we're having to like look at our ingredient list for all our recipes and then shop for it and plan for what day. And some people are really good like that. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not a good planner. <laughs> um, and you know, some, some people really like to kind of like plan all their meals out on, on Sundays or whatever, but I'm kind of like, let's have the elements in the room and then an hour before dinner, I'll figure it out. Um, yes, yeah. that's me
0: too. So, and I, I think that we're probably the majority, you know, yeah. and that more power to you if you are the type A that is, you're probably in a neogram type three, like yeah. you just got it all. You've got, you know, the next three months of meals planned. You've got a yeah. month of freezer meals, like good for you. Cool. I did a month of freezer meals one time, by the way, and it took me five straight hours in the kitchen to prepare it all. And I was ultra proud of myself when I got it done, but that five hours in the kitchen was so incredibly exhausting to me. I never did it again. Yeah. It's probably been four years. Like yeah. There's no way that I could put myself through that five-hour block on a Sunday once a month. I just could not do it, which obviously five hours... Over the course of a month spaced out is is very little time. Yeah. But I I need my small chunks. Like, yeah, what, what can I make in 20, 30 minutes?
1: Absolutely. And
0: I would rather have more hours spent total in the month than like cluster it all in that one. Absolutely. And like then
1: maybe you don't even want that food three weeks later.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. Some yeah. of the recipes weren't even good. And I was like, oh man, like now yeah. I have to like go through the ones I want and don't want. <laughs> yeah, it was so much. And oh my gosh, it was a lot of food to buy at once too. But yeah, uh, I bet. <laughs> Well, let's, let's do this. Like, let's chat about like, what are just some common sense things, you know, for a breastfeeding mom either earlier on in postpartum or midway or later on, like, what are the basics? What kind of macros does she need? what are some good ideas for, for foods? If she's looking for more variety, Mm -hmm. like, and just, you know, kind of chat about that because I feel like they're like,
1: this information's
0: great. What do I eat?
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, so a couple of, of things to work on, you know, generally I like to focus on what I call the postpartum plate and what that is, it's formulaic. You're, you're looking at your plate, you're dividing it into equal thirds. I want a protein. I want a starch. I want a veggie. Um, and you know, some good fats kind of sprinkled in whether we're like cooking with olive oil or your protein is a fatty piece of salmon, something like that, that does, does a few things. It, it guarantees, my, well, nothing's a guarantee. It, it makes it easier to balance blood sugar. Um, when we're eating these fuller meals throughout the day, um, it gives us the protein that we need. It gives us the fiber from the veggies and the micronutrients that we need, um, gives us the starch that we need for our energy, um, in order to sustain really feeling good, um, and to support replenishing those nutrients that, um, that, you know, baby stealing, right? Babies steal some nutrients from us from all throughout pregnancy prenatals typically are enough to help um, baby stay healthy, but they don't really keep mom replenished. Um, we lose more when we were talking about that. I'm beating a dead horse with that, but, um, <laughs> in general, the, the plate method that I use ends up being bigger meals for the majority of women. Um, I find that a lot of people having really small breakfasts, either skipping lunch having a bar, having a handful of goldfish crackers. If you got toddlers running around with anyone, <laughs> um, or having something on the lighter side, like a salad. Um, and then they're just not filling the nutrient cup and not balancing your blood sugar and, and kind of feel crappy by the time, you know, four or 5.00 PM hits. And then we have a really big dinner. Right. Um, so that's really number one. And this by itself can make a really big difference in a lot of people's hormone symptoms, as well as, as fatigue, um, Um, And having that big breakfast that, you know, really nice size lunch, similar size dinner for breakfast. One of my favorite things for breakfast is like um, the the really beefy oatmeal um, where you cook some oatmeal on the stove, add some um, coconut butter. Have you ever had coconut butter? Oh, I love coconut yeah. butter. Add some generous spoonful of coconut butter to it. Um, add some fresh fruit, some cinnamon or pumpkin pie spice, and then, um, have that with some like grain-free granola or chopped nuts, something like that. It's, it's really filling. It's really satisfying. I actually find that for most people, it's more satisfying even than like an egg dish in the morning. Um, eggs are great. You know, I love them particularly for like lunch is usually eggs are my protein for lunch. Um, but I find that them, that oatmeal recipe is really filling. And if we add some flaxseed to it, it's not only supporting breast milk production, but it's also supportive of estrogen um, coming back up if we add some ground flaxseed to that. So that's like really number one is we want three square meals, you know, three like grown-up size meals um, throughout the day. Because uh, when we get into the trap of having smaller meals and then our blood sugar is just like crashing every two hours or reaching for a snack and then our blood sugar crashes and we reach for a snack. And so I much prefer these like bigger, much more filling meals that keep us full for longer rather than having like snacks every two hours. Mm. Um, so that's number one, it can go a really long way. And then number two is, is go to bed early and sleep <laughs> as much as possible, because that, that's another thing. If we're like staying up late, um, you know, sleeping when the baby sleeps is a bit of an eye roll from me because I'm not a napper and I've never been able to do something like that. But resting, you know, particularly from the fourth trimester, right. Resting as much as possible, like not trying to, to do new load of laundry, clean up the house, something like that. When the baby's napping, like really trying to to take it easy, um, you know, putting on a show for the toddler, if, if you just had your second baby or, or more something like that. And then if, if you're not, if you're not sleeping through the night an early bedtime, like 9.00 PM dead time, bedtime is like my Strong recommendation, mm. um, like 8:30, yeah. 9 p.m., which sounds like like so dorky early, um, but that can make a world of difference with with how you feel. Getting that extra like hour or so at night, and that's usually when the baby's sleeping the longest stretch, right? Is that like earlier, yes, part of the night anyway? So if we can get that you know, obviously depending on how old your baby is and how often you're, you're breastfeeding the baby. Um, but if we can get even like an hour more of sleep from you, that will make a major difference in, in how you feel. Um, and it's a really simple change, just going to bed a little bit earlier, or maybe it's a lot earlier if you're like a midnight go to bed kind of person, but we can inch our way there. So if you're going to bed at midnight and and then you just heard me say go to bed at 8 30 and you're like, who is this crazy person? <laughs> um 15 minutes, like 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier. Even if you if you're going to bed at midnight and you land at going to bed at 10, that's still going to make a really big difference to you. Um so just like inch it, inch it forward and um, and 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 go to bed early as long as baby's awake in the night, basically. Mm, yes, I, I love that. Yeah. And
0: you know, it kind of makes me think of um I'll never forget. I had a class in college with this um, friend of mine and her boyfriend, they they were both in the military and he was a ranger and he would always talk about his, his training and, you know, it sounds pretty tough. And he would say that, you know, they actually purposely would like sleep, deprive them and stuff and just, you know, set them up for these wartime situations. And he was like, what we learned as Rangers is that your body needs energy and it's either going to get it from sleep or food. So if you're sleep deprived, you eat more. Um, mm-hmm. If you're food deprived, you sleep more and animals know this animals operate purely on their biology. And they know this, yeah. whether or not we realize that as humans, though, if you're right. staying up too late, now you need a nighttime snack. Yeah. <laughs> but if you went to bed at nine, like Allison said, you're not going to need a nighttime snack. No, and breathing. so yeah. <laughs> if you're struggling with like, man, I just feel like I'm putting on weight and whatever, stop snacking at night and go to bed. <laughs> And well, that's that me maybe being a little is, harsh, yeah, but like and that
1: balances your cortisol too, because when you're in right. your flight mode and your cortisol is like upside down, you are going to crave carbohydrates. And because you're insulin resistant, cortisol makes you insulin resistant when you're when you're in that that state and you're gonna be folks. folks? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh, there's so many hormonal connections to milk supply. But it's also like, you know, we put all this pressure on ourselves as moms to just bounce back, but you know, bounce back. I'm air quoting that. And, you know, the reality is we are, if we're not eating in a way that supports our energy, our basic bodily functions, and on top of that, replenishing our nutrients, and we're not getting anywhere near enough sleep, we're going to feel like garbage every day. And then we have this like, Oh, I should be feeling better. I should be able to do this. I should be able to go to this meeting and have my brain functioning just like before kids, or I, you know, should be able to feel better. I shouldn't be snapping at my kids or my husband, you know, but when you're utterly depleted from every angle you're not going to be thriving um, and feeling, feeling your best. But because we have that disconnect of what we see like in the media about people having a baby, losing the weight really fast. And then like out and about in a full face of makeup and just kind of going about their day, you know, that, that disconnect between how it's going in reality and how you see um, it becomes, you know, part of mom guilt, right? Like I should be able to do this. What's wrong with me? Like what's wrong with my body I'm broken blah, blah, blah. But what, what, what I'm saying is when we give ourselves just like the really the basic building blocks, which can come down to just bigger meals and a little bit more rest and sleep that can make a, a tremendous difference. You know, we're, we're usually looking for like, what supplement? Oh, what is, what is this? nutrient that I need or what is this hormone supplement that I need? But like, if you are not eating and not sleeping, like those hormones are, those supplements are not going to do anything for, for you or do like so little, it's going to be almost undetectable. And we have to get those, those foundational elements first, not super sexy, but you have to eat. I know it's not sexy, but, but it's doable.
0: And yeah. And I think too, like, just to piggyback on that, we make such an excellent point is when you're not feeling well, you're like, oh, I should be getting more done or I should have more energy. And then what do you turn to? Coffee, yeah. tea, energy drinks. Yeah, I've got a whole podcast episode on why that's not healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I've <laughs> episode nine with Dr. Steven Chernisky um, because he dives into the science of why caffeine is more depleting and will ruin your hormones. So if you're like up to a pot of coffee a day right now, or you're you're drinking more than a couple of cups, like you're in the danger zone, and it's not going to help. You're you're stealing energy from your body, and at some point you're going to have to repay it. So I always like to tell people that, like, you know, I'm like, how much coffee do you have a day? And most breastfeeding moms seem to want to avoid it because they have this idea it's going to affect their baby. Quite honestly, it doesn't most of the time, um, but it's going to affect you. And so definitely make sure, like you said, I think the whole point of what Allison's saying here is like. Your baby will probably be fine. (laughs) It's you that we're worried about, right? Like your body's like, cool, I'll make milk for the kid, um, and I'll just take it all from you. (laughs) So like, or if you're so depleted that your body can now no longer make milk for the kid uh and what whatnot, and you know, and and you're so depleted like that there's just nothing else to steal from, then you just don't make as much milk. So um this is just kind of like that's a simple way of putting it. And you've made such excellent points and I love your approach because I feel like you simplify things and just like you said about the postpartum plate and just not being a purist or, or you know, an extremist on either end of things. Like we just need more kind of realistic, like what's doable, what, do, what do we need with good science and like, let's just help people. And I just mm-hmm. think you're so, so great at that, Allison. And, you know, you've got this awesome, uh, program called mother recover, Mm -hmm. that teaches moms how to meet their nutritional needs while balancing their postpartum hormones. And of course, supporting their milk supply. So I really just for anybody who is, has listened to this and is like, mind blown, uh, I need Allison's help. Um, that sounds like an awesome program. So where can people find out more about that? And I'll link it up in the show notes too. Yeah.
1: So that's, um, mother recover with a hyphen between the words, mother-recover.com. Um, and, uh, it's, it's open year round. So you don't have to wait like six months for me to open the doors or anything like that. I have a a couple of different options. Um, it, it, I made it as affordable as I can. Some, some of it's more kind of self-paced and do it yourself. And then I have some other levels that, um, have more of my, my personal help in there as well. Um, I've had several hundred people go through the program. I get lots of feedback on it that people have made what feels like really minimal changes to their day to day, but have pretty tremendous outcomes and how they how they feel. And that's that's the kind of feedback that I always am like, I nailed it. Then because <laughs> that that was the point, like yes. not to add more to your plate or your proverbial plate, maybe add more to your actual <laughs> physical <laughs> plate in front of you. Add more to the yeah.
0: actual plate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think about it as a way of if you're completely depleted and exhausted and, um, you know, have a lot of mood issues going on and insomnia and feel just like really hormonally unwell, that is such a burden on you. All of those ways that you're feeling and you're just like, you know, hiking through mud, right? By making some really simple changes to your nutrition, we can really lift that burden off of you so that you can have more energy to do stuff. So I I make it as easy as I can so that it's like, let's make these really small tweaks to what you're already doing. We don't have fancy recipes or anything within that. Um, and it's really all about like making some small changes that are really going to have the biggest impact. Mm, um, so that's how yeah. I recover. Um, and that's, that's definitely like my pride and joy. Um, Aww. as far as my third baby. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. All these
0: yeah. things. Yeah. They are babies, right? Yeah. Like Cast is one of my babies because yeah. I just like bringing on someone like you who has this whole other level of training and expertise and you see different things and, I just think it's so incredible. And, you know, from everything you've said, like, you know, pregnancy is a big life adjustment. You know, if you've never done this before, um, there's just this sort of, you know, black and white kind of like totally different way of living life, whether, whether it's even just regular prenatal appointments that all of a sudden you're going to, right? right. Um, and then you give birth and, you know, it's just a complete change in everything, your routines, your habits, your your mindset about things. Um, mm-hmm. I just interviewed someone earlier And she's pregnant with her first baby. And, um, you know, she's like, yeah, I can, I, I'm used to working 50, 60 hours a week. Like I'm totally plan on doing that. And I was like, just like, let's talk after you have the baby. Cause I know you think that you can still do the same thing after and you can, but are you going to want to like, I would say most people things change pretty dramatically. And so when you go through something where you have some guidance and you have some direction and you're not just like piecing together some stuff on recipe blogs and social media, and you're like, okay, let me just like come to the source here, get what I need. You set yourself Mm -hmm. up for healthy habits for life. Like postpartum is for life. And I love that you said the postpartum years, Allison, because that tells me you get it. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being one of the people out there that's helping moms and that who gets it. And you just have so much empathy and compassion, maybe because you've been through it, but I think it's just who you are and it's in your nature. And I think you just gave us so much awesome info today on the podcast. So if you need more, I'll link up everything for Allison in the show notes and you guys can go check that out.
1: That's great. Well, thank you again for having me and all your, your, Sweet words of encouragement. I really appreciate it. Oh and, my gosh, um, it's an honor to have
0: you. Really, <laughs> you've just you've done me a favor by allowing me to make this episode and put it onto the
1: world and I could just be like, here's the best episode. Go listen <laughs> to it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, oh, thank you again for letting me be here. This was this was really fun. Um, and you know, chatting with you is is always a joy. And <laughs> have me back whenever you want, we can do this chat again. I loved it. i love it. I also have um a, I'm going to send you and you can link it to the show notes, my uh, PDF for new mom supplements. That's kind of like the basics, what, what to, to either keep taking or start taking, um, after the baby is born. Um, it's great for fourth trimester moms, but it's really great anytime too. that mom is starting to realize that she's feeling kind of depleted, um, and needs some extra. So I'll, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely
0: go check that out. That's free. Thank you so much, Allison, for offering that to the listeners. And thank you for being here today. Yeah, of course. Well, have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You too. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com mantras, and you can get started right now.